Hi everybody, this is Mark and I'm happy to uh, bring a message to you today. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 13 and John chapter 13 is an absolutely amazing chapter in the Bible. We'll get to that in just a moment. But to introduce this, I have a book uh, which is a commentary on John by Ray Stedman. He used to pastor down in the Bay Area and he's a wonderful author and pastor. And he tells this story. He tells it a little better than I could so I'm just going to read it to you but it's pretty cool. Uh, Reese Edmund tells us that during the Revolutionary War, a man in civilian clothes was riding his horse along the brow of a hill when he encountered a group of soldiers. The soldiers were struggling to mount a heavy cannon on a fortified position to defend against a British attack. A stranger, the stranger halted his horse and watched as three soldiers grunted and strained trying to position the cannon. A few feet away, a fourth soldier was barking orders and berated the men, but he didn't lift a finger to help. The stranger nudged his horse over to the man who was shouting the orders. Those men could use some help, said the stranger on the horseback. Why don't you lend a hand instead of shouting at them? The soldier replied, sir, I'm a corporal. Oh, said the stranger, I beg your pardon. Please let me help then. So he dismounted, he joined the three soldiers, and he put his shoulder to the task, and soon the cannon was in place with his help. The stranger returned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, the next time you have a job like this and don't have enough men to do it, just send a message to me at the headquarters and I will come and help you again. Just ask for your commander-in-chief, George Washington. Then General Washington remounted his horse and rode away from the speechless corporal. But instead of three soldiers, we find in John chapter 13, 12 men with an arrogant attitude and with dirty feet. So may God bless the reading of his word as we go to John chapter 13. And I read to you in John chapter 13 from the English Standard Version. It goes like this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. And I'm going to stop right there, right before verse 6, and begin to explain what's going on. Jesus knows that his hour had come. This means that he was aware that time had ticked down, that you know the, the clock had ticked down to the point where he would, on this Passover, be the great Passover lamb who would give his lifeblood as a redemption price for all of redeemed humanity. Because 1,400 years before Jesus, when back in Exodus, the book of Exodus, God had instructed Moses to tell all the people, 
put blood on your doorpost and over the top of the door, the, the blood of a lamb, and then the angel of death that struck down all the firstborn sons of Egypt, the angel of death passed over every house that had the blood of a lamb on it. And so this was uh, a main part of the Passover celebration. Passover was celebrating liberty, freedom from Egypt. And that was the old covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus was telling us on the last night with the Lord's Supper that he was, he was going to lay down his own life for us. So we now have freedom from sin and death, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've been set free from those things through Christ's blood. So Jesus knows that the hour has come. He is motivated by love. It says that he loved them to the very end. And when we look at him uh, stripping down to wash the disciples' feet, it's very important to note that he is motivated by love for his disciples. He loves, uh, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He loves the world. He loves all of humanity. Uh, specifically, he spent three years with James and John and Peter and Andrew and all the rest of the disciples and, and, and the, the women uh, as well, Mary Magdalene and, and uh, his mother and his aunt and, and others who were there at the cross just hours after this happened. He loves his disciples. He loves the church. He loves you. Um, so he's motivated by love. However, we see in this context that Judas, who is the son of Simon, who will soon betray Jesus, is motivated not by love, but he has had his heart infiltrated by Satan. It says here, specifically, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And so Judas is actually next to Jesus at the Last Supper on one side, and John, the beloved disciple, is with Jesus on the other. Now, they weren't sitting at a traditional table like what we're accustomed to, where you'd sit upright. They would actually be laid out, and what they would do as Jewish men at this time is they would be leaning on their left arm, left arm, sorry, <laughs> I always get my left and right messed up. You know, it's a funny story. When I, would, when I was uh, training to drive bus, they would say, uh, now turn left here and turn right there and, and cross the tracks. And it's like, make sure you open the door for the railroad tracks and different things. And I'm, yes, my wife, I'm honestly not good at left and right, which is kind of sad. But they'd say, now turn left here. And I turned right. And then they'd say, how about left this time? So it was kind of funny because even as an adult, I still have problems with left. But they would eat with their right hand, and so they would, as Jewish men, the, the right hand was the preferred hand, and we see that in other cultures around the world today. And so they would actually be leaning on their left elbow. They'd be laying down kind of like on a couch or a cushioned area, and the table would be low like a coffee table, and they'd reach over and grab the bread and different things, and we get more details about, you know, who's positioned where from the Gospels because Jesus is actually able to uh, give the bread to Judas and he's talking to John. So we know that Judas and John are on each side of Jesus. Well, the whole point of this bigger narrative is that when you would come into a dinner like this or enter somebody's home, 
you would wash people's feet because they would bathe and they'd be clean, you know, clean face, clean hair, clean body, clothes on, but they would walk through dusty streets all day long so their feet would actually be just covered with dust because they would generally wear kind of an open sandal thing, you know, flip-flops as it were, I'm just joking, but their feet would get caked with dust and so servants would wash the feet of the disciples. It may have actually been the assignment of one of the disciples. They might have rotated that assignment between them or whatever, but everybody's feet hasn't been washed. In fact, the other gospels tell us that the disciples at this last supper were actually arguing about who was the greatest. And we don't get that from John, but we get it from the other gospels about the last supper. So it's interesting that nobody's feet are washed, nobody's done it, and we don't know the details about if it was maybe somebody's job to do it. Some people speculate that Peter might have been in the position around the table where it might have been his responsibility. We don't know that for sure, but I did see that on a uh, Through the Bible uh, faith lesson by Ray Vanderlaan, and interesting, interesting uh, idea about that. What we do see is that Jesus takes off his outer garment, okay? He takes it off, and he stoops down, and he, he washes the disciples' feet. Now, I've taken off my jacket. Jesus probably took off essentially everything but what we would consider underwear, okay? Like just the loincloth underneath so that he can get down with the towel and actually wash the disciples' feet. We don't think of clothes in the same ways that they did because they had an entire tunic that would cover the whole body. So Jesus takes off his outer garment, takes the towel, washes the disciples' feet, which is the job of a servant. Now I'm going to continue at verse 6 because you, you understand that. It would be like opening the door for the owner of a hotel. You know, the, the, the doorman is going to do that for the owner of the hotel. And if the owner of the hotel has to open the door for himself, well, the doorman's probably in trouble, right? Or people, you know, in, in a big Fortune 500 company, they're not going to go around and pick up the trash out of the trash cans after hours. That's going to be the job of the janitor. So it's that type of thinking where we understand the guy at the top or the woman at the top is in charge and it's not their job to be doing the foot washing or the toilet cleaning or those menial tasks, right? So verse 6, Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. This is a very important point because they didn't quite get it, but we get it, and John writes it down for us. In verse 8, John 13, verse 8, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. So think about why would Peter say that? You will never wash my feet. Probably because he's thinking, Oh yeah, like nobody took care of the foot washing. Uh, You're the Lord. I'm the disciple, you're the rabbi, you're going to be, I mean, earlier in Matthew 17, Peter said, you're the son of the living God, you're the Christ. When Jesus said, what do people say about me, and who do you say that I am? So Peter understood, and he's probably essentially snapping to it, and thinking, 
I'll, I'll take care of this or we'll get somebody to take care of it. You should never have to take care of this. So Peter's response is, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says this, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm going to wash your feet. And in order for us to be connected in this way, I'm going to do this for you. Uh, which I think what that translates to is Jesus saying, no, 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 no. I'm not offended that I have to do this. I want to do this. And later, you'll understand. So think about it again. In the context of what we've already read, it said earlier that he loved them to the end. In other words, Jesus was incarnationally, and what that means is in the flesh. He's there. He showed up, and he wanted to show them, this isn't beneath me. I want to do this. I want to also leave you an example. Uh, later on, we read that. So it goes on. When Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet also, I'm sorry, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Now catch that word, clean, and put it right here for a moment, clean. And you are clean. And when he says you are clean, he's saying you all are clean. Y'all disciples, all of you are clean. But not every one of you. And now verse 11. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said not all of you are clean. So Jesus is for a moment using this foot washing to say, no, if you've, if you've bathed, you're clean. You just need your, your feet washed. And it's like, why is Jesus talking about clean in the midst of foot washing? He's equating that if you allow Jesus to serve you, uh, you're clean, but not every one of them. So who wasn't clean? The one who betrayed him, Judas Iscariot. Earlier we read that Judas, uh, Satan entered into Judas's heart, uh, this idea, put it in his heart to betray Jesus. So I think what this shakes out to is it shows us that Judas was one of the twelve. He was the treasurer. He's right next to Jesus at the Last Supper. But he wasn't clean. What does that mean? From the larger context of Scripture, it means this that if we allow Jesus to serve us, the heart is clean. There's a heart cleansing that happens by allowing Jesus to serve us. How does Jesus serve us? Uh, at the cross. Um, he says, you're clean, your whole body's you know, washed, you disciples, you're taken care of, they had faith in Jesus, they were clean, you just need your, your, your feet washed right now. So Jesus is using this as a picture that we pull out of the scriptures that as we walk through a muddy, sin-filled, nasty world, we can get that on us. But if you have faith in Jesus, your heart is cleansed. But we are people who continually go back to Jesus for daily maintenance of our repentance. But we are securely in his hand. Our heart has been given over to him. 
Now, can a Christian backslide? Can a Christian, you know, uh, begin to have a numb heart? Uh, yeah, uh, of course they can. And that's why we have to come back to Jesus for this continual cleansing. But definitively, there are people that we don't know. You can't look at somebody's heart and know if it's clean or not. I can't either. Uh, Judas probably would have looked great from the outside, but certainly from the inside. The scriptures say, and Jesus said, that he wasn't clean. So think about this, 1 John 1, 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All you have to do is confess your sins and God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It's not because we've confessed, like that, that confession is some sort of work or something. We're just agreeing with God. God, you know that I don't measure up. You know what I did. You know what the sin in my heart is. And I confess it to you. And God's faithful and just to forgive us. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, it's very interesting there in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, that it says, Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. So it's our responsibility to take those things to Jesus and allow him to wash our feet. There's a wonderful hymn uh, written by William Cowper in 1771. There is a fountain. And it says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Do you see just how beautiful Jesus is? how humble Jesus is, that he knows he's returning to the Father. He knows who he is. He knows that he's going to lay down his life for his disciples. And yet he wanted them to know that he is pleased to serve them. So maybe there's something in your life that you feel like you can't surrender to the Lord. Or maybe there's something that you feel like, I, I don't want Jesus. You know, you feel like, I can't take that to Jesus or ask for that thing. Sometimes we need things in life, like maybe a car for transportation, or we want a house for our family, or we want our child healed, or we want something in our own health taken care of, you know, where we're struggling with something, and we want, Lord, take away the pain, or take away the depression, or the anxiety, or a relationship struggle, or Lord, give me uh, a job where I can be pr productive, or where I can use these certain talents that I have. Do you realize that Jesus wants to serve you? And I don't know exactly what his will for your life is, but it could be that you've never asked him for that thing that you desire. The Bible says that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. When somebody has their whole life focused upon Jesus and has that clean heart experience, this isn't, let's not overthink it. This isn't rocket science. Um, this is just so basic that a child can do it and anyone can do it. Where you just say, Lord, come on in and cleanse me. Come on in and take out of my life those things that need to be pulled out of my life. And Lord, by the way, 
um, I'm asking for this, you know, certain thing in my life. Show me what it is. You know, show me the way forward. Let me let me share something in closing, and I am closing. I had a friend in my last church that uh, was married, and she said that she was praying for years for the Lord to uh, give her a child. You know, she wanted a child. They were they wanted to have children, and she ended up never having children. But she said that she actually sensed the Lord tell her, uh, I want you to stop asking me for that and asking for children. And it brought a great peace to her afterward that the Lord spoke to her in, in you know, whatever way. I, I don't know what it was exactly, but God will get through to you. And, and I told her, I said, you know what that tells me is that God heard your prayers. God is touched by us when we ask for things. And what I got out of her sharing that for me was like, wow, he actually told you to stop asking for that? God cares about us very much. And with that answer, she had great peace in her life. So let me pray for you and for me, okay? Lord, we come to you this day and we pray. We get excited about the fact that when we just pursue you with our whole heart, and our entire life, that you are pleased with that, and you know that we're bound to fail. You know Peter wasn't perfect, and yet there was a big difference between Peter, who had honest mistakes and yet wanted to serve the Lord. He was enthusiastic to have Jesus wash his face and his whole body after Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, then I have no share with you. Peter later got it. He understood that it's about us having a different idea of the kingdom. And so, Lord, we with boldness come before your throne today to ask for the grace and the mercy that we need in this trying time in which there are many things going on in the world around us that produce anxiety and fear and uncertainty. We thank you for your promise in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And once again, Father, we put our trust in you, that you would cleanse us through the Spirit of Christ, that you would give us the humility of Christ, and that you would empower us to love other people with courtesy and kindness and service, just like Jesus did for his disciples, because we all are servants of the rabbi, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he was willing to stoop down to serve other people, then Lord, we're willing to stoop down and serve other people as well. And we thank you for this great example of the Christian life that we have in Jesus taking a towel and washing feet. Help us, Father, to not have dirty feet and help us to not have dirty hearts. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.